church, the, one of the most beautiful verses in all the New Testament. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this. This is a faithful saying, and, and Paul says, worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen? Amen. That was his chief purpose, to come into this world to reach down and save a wretch like me, a wretch like you. That's his, that's his masterpiece. That's his plan. That's his specialty. No matter how far a person's gone, no matter how low they are, no matter how lost they are, he can save. And Paul goes on to say in this text, he says, of which I was the chief of sinners. That's the one part of the, the scriptures I disagree with, where Paul says, I was the chief of sinners. I say, no, I'm the chief of sinners. That was me. Actually, we could all say that in the course of the scripture, of, I, of which I was the chief of sinners. Amen? Amen. You may have a seat. And if you don't have a, a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a Bible. Wow. No, I'm good. I got a Bible. Thanks, Paul. We got a couple. Um, wow, it's been an awesome three or four week study on the subject of the rapture of the church and, and the day of the Lord. We, we've gone very deep into the scriptures, exploring what the Bible says there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 concerning the rapture of the church. And then we looked at Judgment Day and the Day of the Lord and everything that uh, 1 Thessalonians, the beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, talked about. Today is going to be a very, I, I just welcoming, warm message. It's, it's a word of encouragement that the Apostle Paul is going to end his letter, 1 Thessalonians 2, with the church. But, you know, all Scripture is inspired by God. There's not one single verse in the Bible that's not profitable, that doesn't benefit us from teaching. So we're going to look this morning at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, looking at verses 12 through 28. And what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to just go ahead and lay it out for you in the very beginning. So as we study this scripture in the passage verse by verse, that you'll, do, you'll see it, you'll see what I see. And so to the title of my message this morning is a blueprint for authentic Christian living. And we'll have, a, we'll have it up on the, up on the uh, screen. And you'll see the layout. Verses 12 through 13, um, we, we're looking at our love and our respect for our leaders. Verses 14 through 15, helping others follow Jesus. How many know that's important? That we learn how to help other people follow Christ. Because at some point in your Christian life, somebody came along and helped you. So we need to pay it back and help others follow Christ. And then in verses 16 through 22, I, 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 can, I call this portion of chapter 5, how to keep your heart right before the Lord. So let's, let's go ahead and dive in. We've prayed and uh, we're trusting the Lord will lead us through this study and that he'll speak to each and every heart and how this applies to their life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's look at this first portion, love and respect for leaders, found in verses 12 and 13. The scripture says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace 
among yourself. So this first portion of the scripture we're looking at this morning um, is my first principle up on the screen. And it's to, we're called to love and respect our leaders. And the leaders in this passage are described in three ways. Let's take a look at it in verse 12. Verse 12, first it says that leaders, they labor. They labor among you. Not that they have a title, but that they labor, that they're doing work for the kingdom. What kind of labor do leaders do in the church? They teach. They disciple. They lead in worship. They're the ones that are behind the scenes putting everything together so that we can come here and build the kingdom, so that we can help people grow in their relationship with Christ. The scripture says, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, that the leaders are the under-rowers. They're the ones in the bottom of the ship rowing it, keeping it going, taking everybody above to where they need to be. That's what a leader is. They they, they help build the kingdom when it says that they, they labor among you. It's work. Ministry is work. You can't just come in with your Abercrombie and Finch shirt and expect just to start teaching people and people listening to you. It takes work. It takes reaching out to people. It, 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 can, be, it can be very uh, tough and very challenging at times, but it's a blessing. That's a blessing, and there's no better place to be on earth than serving Christ and reaching out to people with the gospel. He also says there in verse 12, it says, uh, the last half of verse 12, it says that they're over you in the Lord, meaning that leaders hold a place of leadership where they teach and they lead. And look at what he says there at the end of verse 12. It says, and they admonish you. They admonish you. That's different. That's a different word used here in the original language than a word for just teaching. But this word admonish means they exhort uh, they warn and, and they reprove gently is what, is, is what the word admonish means. Um, David Gusick says this. This word admonish, it means to tell someone what they must do, but without sharpness or a critical spirit. It is not a rebuke or a condemnation, but neither is it merely a suggestion or advice. It's urgent and it's serious, but it's spoken in a spirit of grace. And leaders, if you want to get through to people, if you want people to listen to you, that's the way you have to present it, in a spirit of grace, in a spirit of truth, in a spirit of love, in a spirit of, hey, Rick, I'm here to help you, brother. I'm not here to judge you or condemn you, but I'm, help you. I'm here to help you move from where you're at to where you need to be. That's what he's talking about here at Monash. True leaders, true leaders in the church, and I would even take this out into the workplace and into the home. True leaders have to have difficult conversations. They have to have those difficult conversations with, uh, in their church. When they see a brother or sister about to do something to wreck their life, a leader has a responsibility to lovingly step in and gracefully admonish that other believer. And let me tell you something. If you're on the receiving end of that, Man, there's no greater act of love than a brother who sees me making bad decisions and not doing what I should be doing and coming to me and saying, hey, David, pulls me aside gently, kindly, gracefully, in private, 
and says, listen, I need to talk to you about something. That is the most loving thing they could do. Because we're here for each other. We want to build each other up. And we don't want to see someone uh, wrecking their life. You know, if you see me going down a path that I shouldn't go, then I would hope that you would come to me as well as I would for you. Uh, verse 12, let's continue. Let's look at verse 12 some more. Uh, and the next part of this is how do we treat our leaders? How do we treat our leaders? There again in verse 12 it says, and I urge you, brethren. And when Paul says I urge you, he's putting a strong emphasis on how important this is. I urge you, brethren, to recognize, to recognize I went out and looked at all the translations this week. And if you have NIV, New King James, KJV, NASV, NASB, ESV, beautiful definition. When you bring them all together, it gives a beautiful definition of this word that the New King James says to recognize. But some of your translations out there say acknowledge. We acknowledge them. As well, we should our leaders. For the work they do, we should acknowledge them. And give them thanks. Some of your translations say we honor them. We should honor. We should honor our leaders. We should honor our leaders. We should respect our leaders. Some of your translations say we should respect. Um, we, they, 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 they are worthy of respect for the work they do. And more importantly, behind that respect and behind that honor and behind that acknowledgement, there's a life that that leader should live that sets an example for everyone within the body and everyone he ministers to. Many times, in most cases, people will listen to you when what? You lead by example. You lead by example. That's so important. You can't go out and play the hypocrite. You can't go out and live one way and teach another way. It just doesn't work. And I believe it comes out spiritually. You know, I believe a, a corrupt leader as hard as they may try, they're not effective in ministry and impacting people. Why? Because there's things in their heart and things in their life are not right. Some of your translations um, say, uh, verse 12, we appreciate them. I love that one. We appreciate them. To everyone here at Calvary Chapel Irmo that serves, you know, on behalf of the whole body, you know what I say to you? Thank you. Thank you for serving. This is not David's church. This is not... Your church, this is God's church, and we all play a pivotal part in the kingdom. We all, we all play a pivotal part, but we should appreciate each other as God does with us. Let's continue on at verse 13, and the, the question I'm answering is, how do we treat our leaders? If you look at verse 13, he says, and to esteem them very highly in love. What is he saying there? He's saying we love our leaders. We love those guys. We love them deeply. We love them wholeheartedly. We consider them family. How many of you guys have a pastor or a leader in the past that is forever in your heart? Somebody that's impacted you greatly. 1992, the spring of 92, I was at an altar at Bethel Temple, Assembly of God Church, Hampton, Virginia, receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I, 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 this is a mega church. There's probably 1,500 plus people in this church. So I left church that morning. I backslid for a couple months, struggled with my Christian faith, wasn't sure, you know, what it was all about, what I was doing. And I was wrestling, wrestling with my flesh and wrestling with serving the Lord versus, versus being in the flesh. 
Three months later, I went back to Bethel Temple, and I just felt that conviction at the end of the sermon. They had an altar call, and I came back down to the altar. And I will never forget Pastor Ron Johnson. He put it, this is, remember I said this is 1,500 people. He put his hand on my shoulder. He says, you mean it this time, don't you? And I said, yes, I do, Pastor. <laughs> and for the next four years, this pastor, Pastor Ron, he invested in me. He taught me. He educated me. He preached the word. He preached the scriptures. And he molded me in my first four years as a Christian. And I, he forever holds a place in my heart, Pastor Ron. I think about um, Reverend Al Bozard. Reverend Al Bozard, he was a, um, he was a many, many years ago, I, I believe he was the pastor at Riverland Hills back in the 80s. And after that, he went on to work at the South Carolina Baptist Convention Center. But I look back to uh, Pastor Al Bozard and all the time he spent with me as a young Christian when I moved back to Columbia in 95. He forever holds this place in my heart. I am forever thankful for him and so appreciative of everything he's done for me. And then also now, being a Calvary Chapel pastor, you know, there are many wonderful Calvary Chapel pastors out there that I look up to and that have helped me along, my, helped me along the way. And I'm so thankful for all the hard work that these seasoned Calvary Chapel pastors have put into my life. You can go to Google and Google uh, Calvary Chapel Resources. Calvary Chapel Resources. And you can click on Sermons. And you can go out there and you can listen to some of the finest verse-by-verse teaching that I've ever heard from David Gusick, from Skip Heisick, uh, from um, uh, Pennsylvania... uh, Lloyd Pulley, thank you. I'd look at Greg and Deb. But listen to Lloyd Pulley. And and listen to Pastor Chuck. Listening to Chuck Smith back in the 80s, teaching teaching the scriptures verse by verse. These men have put in a lot of hard work, and I'm very thankful for all these leaders. I hope you have a leader that that you're thankful for and that it has deposited into your life. Okay. We, 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 We... Driven that one deep. But we, but we esteem them very, very highly in love, as verse 13 says. And, and look, I, I don't want to miss this. Look at the end of verse 13. To me, this is the best way to show leaders that you love them back. <laughs> look at the end of verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. In other words, work things out within the congregation. Work things out within the fellowship. Sometimes the pastor has to be brought in. And sometimes he needs to be brought into the situation, but, but for the most part, y'all work it out between each other. Don't call the pastor in the referee. You work it out like brothers do, according to scripture, and be at peace. Work it out. You know, there's nothing worse than, you know, squabbling and backbiting and, and people going at each other's throats, and the pastor has to step in and try to referee things and work out. You know, you don't want to offend either party. You want to help them both. But you make it difficult. But be at peace. Be at peace. So this is how verses 12 through 13, if I was writing in my Bible, this is how you love and respect your leaders. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. Um, verses 14 and 15, just want to, oh, it's up on the screen. That's right. Uh, verses 14 and 15 is how you can help other people follow Jesus. Let's take a look at this verse by verse. 
Chapter 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See to it that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for yourselves and for all. My friend, right there, right there, in verses 14 and 15 of your Bible, that is the blueprint for you to help other people answer the call and to follow Christ. This is, you know, the Bible says, just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is how you can help other believers. Let's look at them in verse 14. The first one is, he says, warning those who are unruly. This is people that are out of order. That the word that's used for unruly is used to describe a soldier who is out of step. A couple weeks ago, I went to Joy's graduation out at Fort Jackson. If you haven't been to a basic training graduation, you need to go because you'll get goosebumps because it is so awesome. They um, they come marching across the parade field, and all you can, all, they look like a bunch of little ants, and they get closer and closer, and they're in this military formation. And, of course, as they're coming close, me and Emily are looking for joy, looking for joy, but we can't see joy. But guess what we do see? We see who's out of step. You can spot them from a mile away. You know, they're left, 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 right, left, and then somebody's over there hitting the right foot when you say left, and they're messing up the cadence. And, and, and they're sticking out like a sore thumb. Now, eventually, when they finally dismissed, we're like, oh, there's Joy. And we went up and congratulated her. But, but here, this word unruly is used to describe that soldier that's out of step, that person that's out of step within the congregation. They, they stick out. You can see them. They're self-willed. They're, they're, um, they're disruptive. They, they go against the flow. And what do we do? We warn them. We lovingly, gracefully pull them aside and say, hey, brother, hey, sister. This is, this is our vision. This is where the church is going. And, um, and, and listen to what their issue is. But we want to be in unity. And we want people, um, we don't want unruly people in the church. It makes for a, makes for a very difficult uh, ministry. Then verse 14, he says, we, we, comfort, we comfort the faint-hearted. What's he talking about here? He's talking about people that are timid. Some of the people that are timid, people that lack courage, uh, these, these, these people that are timid, um, they, they worry a lot. They, they, they worry a lot. But what do we do? What does it say there? Do we condemn them? Do, do we, hey, straighten up? No. It says we comfort them. We comfort them. We come alongside them and we encourage them. We encourage the faint-hearted. Take strength. Take courage. Encourage them with the scriptures. Encourage them, hey, you're going to make it. You know, things aren't as bad as we think they are. No matter who the president is, no matter what the political situation is in the world, no matter what's going on, we have a king on the throne. He is the sovereign Lord we serve. And he will, will, will strengthen us. And he will give us, show us our future. He will show us our path. And there's no reason to be faint-hearted over anything because Jesus Christ is Lord. Then he says in verse 14, he says, um, we uphold the weak. What's he talking about here? I think he's talking about those who struggle in the faith. He's talking about those who struggle, who struggle in the faith. You know, they come to Christ, you know, and they got one foot in the world, one foot in Christ, and they're not sure what they're doing, and they're just, they need help. And how do, how do, how do, we, how do we uphold new believers 
by simply what we do with simply by doing what we do with these other people. We call them, we text them, we encourage them, we encourage them to get into the word and build your faith and understand this new life in Christ. You know, as a new believer, those early years are so important. Those first two to three years are so important because you're laying a foundation. You're laying a foundation, and you're learning about the cross, and you're learning about the resurrection, and you're you're learning about, hey, I got the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me now, and understanding that that you have a special gift, that you have a special calling, and, and figuring out what that calling and what that gift is. It's in those early years, but it's also in those early years where you're figuring out that a lot of times Christians will tend to struggle. And, and if a believer falls away, what should we do? We should lovingly encourage them to return to Christ and, and to be established in the faith. Amen? Amen. In verse 14, he continues. He says, uh, being patient with all. Boy, this is, this is one of my struggles. This, this, this is one of those that I have difficulty in. From time to time. Anybody here ever had an a, a, a EGR person in their life? You know, what e, you know what EGR stands for? An extra grace required. <laughs> they, they, they require extra grace. Sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes uh, they, um, they take up a lot of your time. But let me tell you what, those, what God is doing when he brings that type of person into your life as a, as a mature believer. He's using that person to teach you, believer, the art of patience. It's a, it's a gift that we all need to exercise, it's a, that gift of patience, even with our children. You know, sometimes our children make decisions and do things that they shouldn't be doing or this, this making you want to pull your hair out, you know, lovingly speak the truth and love to them. But also, be patient. Be patient. Don't blow your top. We, 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 uh, true Christianity is shown in our ability to help difficult people. Trust me, I like the easy ones too. The ones that, hey, brother, need to read your Bible. Check. Got it. All right. I need to start praying. Praying. I'm coming to church every Sunday. Man, those are nice. But when you get some of those folks that they're wrestling and they're struggling, they can be difficult. And that's where we learn and grow as leaders in the area of patience. And we all need it with each other. You be patient with me, I'll be patient with you, and we'll, we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it. He continues in verse 15, um, talking about helping others follow Jesus. So the second principle up on the screen that we're looking at. We continue into verse 15. He says, see that no one renders evil for evil. To anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Christians never seek revenge. Christians never seek revenge. And it says, see to it that no one renders evil for evil, not to just people within the body, but to anyone, the text says. We, 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 when we're done wrong, when someone sins against us or does an evil act against us, we do not return it back. 
despite the fact that our flesh wants to and our carnal mind wants to, but the Holy Spirit speaking through Scripture, through the Word of God, tells us not to. Not to. The Scripture says, uh, God says, vengeance is mine. Thus says the Lord. He will sort it all out. So what do we do when we're done wrong, when someone commits an act of evil against us or sins against us? We pray for them. We pray for them, and, and we love them with the love of Christ, and we speak the truth in love. And what does it say there in the second half of the verse? What do we seek? It says, pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. That, to seek what is good means that we, we pursue what is beautiful, what is noble, and what is excellent. The, 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 what stood out to me when I read this verse 15, though it just, just right in front of my mind, I thought about Elizabeth Elliot. How many of you ever heard of Jim Elliot? Jim Elliot and the five missionaries who went down to Ecuador, 1955, 1956-ish, they went down there to reach out to an indigenous tribe. On day three of their mission, all five of them were speared to death. They, they were speared to death. You can watch this awesome movie that does a great job of portraying what happened. It's called End of the Spear. But anyway, they get speared to death. The five wives are back at the base camp crying their hearts out. They're devastated. They've all lost their husband. So they go back to America. They go back to, they go back to the United States and two years later, Nate Saint's sister and Elizabeth Elliot, the, the wife of Jim Elliot, they return back to the Waldani tribe to evangelize. To evangelize these tribal men and women that killed their husbands. Whew, that's huge. And not only did her and Nate Saint's um, sister go back, but she took her, she took her two-year-old child. She took her two-year-old child with her. Went down there. God opened up an amazing door through the martyr of those saints. And they established churches, spent two years, two or three years down there uh, building the kingdom. And there's actually a picture on the internet. I, I wish I would have I wish I would have had a slide for it, but I didn't. But there's an actual slide out there, a, a picture on Google, where you see the indigenous tribes um, baptizing Elizabeth Elliot. Whoa, that's big. That's big. Because the carnal mind, they just killed my husband. Them evil, wicked men. But what does she do? She goes back down there and she loves on them. That's what the scripture is talking about when it says, See to it that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. And that's exactly what Elizabeth Elliot did. Let's look at verses 16 through 22. 16 through 22 is, is Paul's closing out this letter to 1 Thessalonians. Um, I titled this portion of scripture, How to Keep Your Heart Right Before the Lord. How to Keep Your Heart in a Right Place Before the Lord. Because that's important. There's so many things that, that wrestle. And there's so many things that tug at our hearts. You know, there's good things. There's bad things. There's godly things. And there's ungodly things. And God has given us measures, he's, he's given us principles in the scripture to protect and guard our heart. Your heart needs to be guarded. It needs to be protected. And it needs to be filled with these things that we're talking about. So let's look at them, starting at verse 16. 
first thing he says there, he says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Find your joy in Jesus Christ. Find your joy in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice in where you're at in life. It says rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he will never let you down. And also, when you rejoice in Jesus, it brings the Father pleasure. It brings the Father pleasure when he sees his children here on earth being satisfied with his son. Not only do we rejoice in our relationship with Jesus Christ, but we we rejoice in God's word. Psalms 119, 162 says this, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Do you rejoice in God's word? Do you understand that when you open your Bible, it is God speaking to you? It is his message to you? It's like a treasure. That's why I love studying it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so that we can pull all the treasures out of it and take these treasures and apply them to our lives. It's a treasure that gives us great joy. You know, when tragedy strikes, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be heartbroken. But how do you return to to a place of joy? You're doing it by going to the scriptures. Because the scriptures give us joy and they give us reason to rejoice. He continues in verse 17. Look at the next one. He says, pray without ceasing. What can I say about that? Pray always. Pray always. Don't wait for church. Pray always. Pray everywhere. Pray in the morning. Pray in the middle of the day. Pray in the afternoon. Pray when you're at home. Pray when you're at work. Pray when you're going down the road, but keep your eyes open. But pray always. You can talk to the Lord wherever you're at. You can talk to the, to the Lord at home, in your car, everywhere. But, but make prayer a part of your daily life. This, these are part of the things that will protect your heart. When you find your joy in Christ, and when you spend time praying without ceasing, praying always, it keeps our hearts soft before the Lord. He continues in verse 18. He says, uh, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Charles Spurgeon said on this passage, he says, When you add verses 16 and 17, you get verse 18. In other words, when you add rejoicing and joy, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, verse 16 and 17. When you add rejoicing and praying without ceasing, it produces a thankful life. It produces a thankful life. So we're to have thankful hearts. And it says there in verse 18, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And notice it says, it does not say um, give thanks for everything. Because not everything in, happens in life you can be thankful for. But it says, in everything. So he's saying, in whatever situation you find yourself in, good or bad or indifferent, give thanks. Because that protects your heart in that place of, of where you're at. It says, give thanks for in everything. And everything means in, um, in every situation. In every situation you find yourself, give thanks. Let's continue. Verse 19. Garden your heart. You're, you're, you know what you're doing this morning? You're putting a fortress. You're, you're, you're being given principles from Scripture, and you're putting a fortress around your heart. That's what you're doing this morning. That's what the Lord is doing, I believe, in our hearts. 
this morning. Because look at verse 19. He says, do not quench the spirit. What does he mean by do not quench the spirit? Many times in scripture, the Holy Spirit is presented as a flame. He's presented as a flame. He's presented as a fire. And what he's saying here when he says do not quench the spirit, he's saying this. Do not put out the flame. Do not put out the flame. How do we, how do we quench the spirit? What are, what are ways that believers quench the spirit? One way is when the Holy Spirit brings conviction in your life. When he puts his finger on something and says, you need to change this. Or you need to repent of this. And we refuse. We refuse. We have a, um, a, we can make a decision. We can make a choice in life. And we can reject his voice. But when we reject his voice, you're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the work of the Holy Spirit, he says he comes to convict the world, Jesus said, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when we resist that convicting work, you're quenching the spirit. When we, we uh, resist sanctification, you know, when a person comes to Christ, that's just the beginning. Then the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life, and he wants us to grow. And we, when we resist, if I get that word right, when we resist that work of sanctification, which just simply means growing in Christ, being set apart, we quench the work of the Holy Spirit. And in many times, we won't come back to a place of growth and growing until we repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Will you renew a right spirit within me? Will you change my heart? And God in his grace does that for us. Verse 20, we'll read 20 and 21 together. He says, uh, do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. If someone says to you, hey, brother, hey, sister, I got a word from the Lord for you. What do you do with it? Number one, you don't reject it. Write it down. Remember what they said. And then you test it. You test it and you examine it. And if it lines up with scripture, you can accept it. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God, you throw it out. You throw it out. He says, do not despise. In other words, don't just reject it. But test all things and hold fast to what is good. What, is it, what, is it, what does the scripture mean when it, when it says here, hold fast to what is good? Hold fast to the, the word of God is good. The scripture is good. And what we do is we test everything by scripture. You should be testing everything Pastor David says by scripture. You should be like the Bereans. I believe it's in Acts chapter 17 where Paul goes to Berea and he says they were of noble character. Why? Because they diligently studied the scripture to make sure that what the apostle Paul was saying was true. Now, if, they have to, if, if the apostle Paul is to be examined, well, guess what? All pastors should be examined, including myself, including any leader who speaks. But we are to examine things carefully and biblically. Notice he says there in verse 21, Test all things, hold fast to what is good, and do not despise prophecy. You know, the, sometimes the Lord will give someone a special word of encouragement or exhortation for, to give to another member within the body. And that gift should be exercised, but at the same time, it needs to be carefully weighed and balanced and examined 
um, by the scriptures when, it, it, when that gift is used. Verse 22 is a good one. Talking about guarding our hearts, um, protecting our hearts. He says in verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. And I would say evil slash sin because sin is evil. You need to understand that sin and evil seeks to destroy the work of God in your life, believer. You're a Christian. You've been born again. But you need to understand Satan has tools against you that to, to tempt you, to draw you away. And one of those is sin and evil. And all sin, all sin, all evil, are, are, are the, the mission, if you want to call it that, is to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your walk with Christ. And therefore, he says to us, abstain from every form of evil. This is a very strong statement in the, in the original language. When he says abstain, he means flee. He means run. He means do whatever you got to do. I like to call it slaying the dragon. Do whatever it takes to, to kill that sin that's tempting you. Because you got to understand it will, it will destroy your life. It will destroy your Christian walk. It will destroy your family. We abstain from it. Every form of evil. This is, this is why we as, we as Christians, we, we hate sin and evil. And we hate it. We hate it. Because it destroys people's lives. It destroys people's lives. So he says abstain from it. And flee from it. So there I present to you. That's the blueprint for authentic Christian living is that, one, we love and respect our leaders. Two, verses 14 and 15, we um, help other people follow Christ. And um, the third one is how to keep your heart right before the Lord. That's very important. That's very important. That's, that's like building that fortress, building that castle around your spiritual DNA and what God has done in your life is, is to protect that. And he's given us tools right there. In the same book that he teaches on the rapture and the day of the Lord, he's given us tools to protect and guard our heart. Now let's look at Paul's closing, closing remarks in verses 23 through 28. Verse 23, look, take a look at verse 23. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many well-intending, well-meaning leaders and Bible studies and some pastors, I think they miss the point of this verse. Many people look at verse 23 and they try to debate on what a person consists of. Is he a dichotomy? Is he two-part, spirit and body? Or is he a trichotomy, spirit, soul, and body? Um, and there are well-meaning debates, and we can talk about it and, and hash it out and talk about is man three parts or two parts, but I don't think that's the main point of, uh, of what the Scripture is saying in verse 23. I think the, the main point of verse 23 is this, that God cares about every single part of you. He cares about everything. He cares about your spirit, what the things that you put in your heart. He cares about your soul, your emotion, the way you think. 
things that are happening on the inside, and he cares about what you do with your body. It's more than just believing in Jesus with all your heart and loving him, but it's also about living this physical life and, and living a life that honors and glorifies him. You know, we, we worship the Lord. We worship the Lord with everything. We, we worship him with our hands. We worship him with our voices. We live our lives in such a way in this physical world to bring honor and glory to him. Bring honor and glory to the Lord. There's some people, um, if you look over, I think it's in Matthew. I don't have it written down in my notes, but uh, maybe we're a four-part. There's a verse in Matthew where Jesus says, um, Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Four parts. But I don't think that's the point. I think the point here is, is, that, is that God cares about everything. He cares about your whole entire physical body, your spiritual, your emotional, um, everything. Verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Thankful that Paul here, he reminds the church at Thessalonica that we're going to see in the next book that we study that they were under a lot of persecution. They were under a lot of difficult times. But Paul reminds them here that God is faithful. I stand before you this morning by the authority of Scripture, and I can say this to you. God will be faithful. God will be faithful to you. He will be faithful to you. Man, you just seek him with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He will be faithful to the end. He says, brethren, oh man, this is Paul now. This is Paul who's on the Damascus Road. He saw Jesus. He wrote most of the New Testament. And look at what he says in verse 25. Such a humbling statement. Brother, pray for us. This super apostle, this great man of God who is on the mission field, spreading Christianity. He wrote uh, where he said, the, um, I, can't, I can't remember the uh, address of the verse. I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't want to uh, botch it up. But anyway, Paul says here, brethren, pray for us. That was his earnest prayer. That, that the church there would pray for him in his endeavors and that he would be faithful to the calling. Then he says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Verse 26, this reveals their deep, intimate love for each other. You know, love is what bonds the body of Christ, not just uh, human love, but, but God's love. God's agape love is what bonds us together. And then he closes in verse 27 and 28 where he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I love that. He says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. And then here we are 2,000 years later and I'm doing what the scripture says. <laughs> I'm saying, all right, Lord, I am reading this epistle as you said to all the holy brethren to all the brothers and sisters in Christ, and letting them be encouraged by Scripture. Amen? Be encouraged. Let the principles of Scripture govern your life. There's no better place to be than living for the Lord and living under this blueprint of loving and respecting our leaders, helping others follow Christ, and more importantly, wow, 
to see all this political stuff going on in the news this week and all this blah, 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 wah, 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 all that stuff, we got to guard our hearts because our hearts belong above in a place called heaven where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And we would do well to follow what the scriptures say here in this text. This is where our heart is, in his word, in the Father's hands, or in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, thank you for our verse-by-verse study through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. Lord, I pray that you encourage us. Father, I pray that we put these principles into practice, Lord. Help us all here, Father, including myself, to guard our hearts with all the stuff that's going on in the world. Let our hearts be set on you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then, Lord, help us as a body to help other people follow you, Lord God. We thank you for that, Father. And then, Father, help us to be thankful for our leaders and those who lead us and guide us and teach us, Father, and for those who serve the body of Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And your word has gone forth, and we know that you will work. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.